Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome Michael Martin to the show. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great, Raj. Thanks for having me along. Thank you for being on. Michael, I'd like to kick off the show with something interesting from the guest. So please tell the audience something interesting about yourself. Uh, of course. Uh, well, uh, I've been high in the Himalayas twice in my life, uh, trekking. Uh, travel's always been a big part of my life, and I've done two solo treks in the Nepal Himalaya that were really magical uh, to the extent that I think of them all the time, uh, pretty much on a daily basis. They stick with me as wonder experiences I've had in my life in many ways, uh, but especially the the human interactions of people super far away from a very different background and live in a diff very different world and the massive power of nature um, when you're in a place like that. So uh, I don't meet many people that have been trekking up in Nepal by themselves. <laughs> that That's pretty amazing. How long ago was this? Uh, I, I like to say on my first retirement when I was young and 29, because I, I quit <laughs> my job and took off, uh, I don't know, three or four months. And, and that was part of it. And then I went back... Um, for a birthday uh, eight years ago. And uh, so one quite a while ago and one much more recent. So I've seen the Himalayas um, from the Indian side. I've been up to Shimla, which is one of the highest points on the North Indian side. And from there, the um, I think they're called the Gurkhas, the tour guides, the people that live up in the mountains, pointed out the Himalayas to us from there. So that was my experience actually just seeing them, but nowhere close to where you experienced. Right, yeah. Beautiful people and beautiful surroundings. It, it's really amazing. And, and um, I was speaking to a friend recently about nature. And, you know, when you get up really close to nature, it's only then that you realize, you know, irrelevance and relevance of us as human beings compared to nature. Exactly. And that's my point about the, the massive power of nature. I've never experienced anything like that there because you're very small and it's very large and overwhelming as far as the eye can see. So it, it's... Uh, it's uh, a lot of a lot of learning in uh, in that experience, so I was glad for that. You know, in, in a similar vein, I've had had a conversation recently with uh, somebody that lived in the Bay Area, and they were saying that, that they feel like people that live on the coast near the oceans are more relaxed because they get the opportunity to look out on the water every day, and that you know the water goes to the horizon, and they know every day that again how small we are compared to the amount of water in the world. Sure. No, I, I can I can see that having spent enough time uh, on the at the water's edge, the ocean, and uh, so uh, that's a it's an interesting thought. It makes sense to me. I agree. So, Michael, rather than me going into your bio, you know, I've seen that you've been in the solar industry for longer than many of the people that I've spoken to. Can you give me some background onto what got you involved and what you've seen change over the years? Uh, be happy to. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm living proof of someone that can do a um, career change well into career number one. So I was software IT, um, business development, sales and marketing guy for a couple of decades, and, uh, which was wonderful. But I, I came to get more in touch with working for purpose and impact is the, the, the short version of that. Um, and that was influenced by a lot of things, just growing up and getting more mature, having more experiences. Uh, and I just learned that I need that. And uh, it also uh, ties into, you know, the, the more I was a dad and raising uh, four girls. And um, I, uh, I also am very motivated by the, um, the fact that uh, our air could improve a lot. And the good thing about solar is that it definitely helps clean up our planet. So 
that's the motivation for me. Um, and it's super fun. It's, it's early. It's got so much upside. It's, um, you know, all those things that motivate me on a, on a regular basis and being in solar now for eight plus years has been very exciting because of the major transformation going on within the industry and within the marketplace that, uh, that I've experienced so far. I know that there's lots, lots more of that, that will continue to happen in the coming years and decades, actually. Well, first, a brief side note. You have four daughters. Mm -hmm. I have three daughters. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I've fallen in love with what Nexus PMG is doing. But um, going back to the solar, so what are some of the major changes you've seen happen in the past 30 years? Well, the fact that people know how to spell solar now, <laughs> so to speak, you know what I mean? It's not the word. It's just to, to know what it means. Right. And, uh, you know, it's now more or less in the mainstream business and, you know, more broad conversation for people. Uh, here in North Texas, it's it's maybe not as much as it is in uh, Germany or Hawaii or the West Coast or New York or other places where there's been a lot more implementation. But it's it's exciting to see now that uh, it's it's not a real outlier of a concept or an outlier of a solution to provide clean power. And uh, so that's that's motivating for me, just the general awareness. The popularity of solar is also enormous by independent third parties like Pew Research who do these things and find that like 90% of Americans like solar. They can't tell you much about it, but they like it. And I think part of that is because it's not a solution or a technology or an industry where you have a lot of disaster stories or um, or danger or toxicity or, you know, it's it's technology that's helps create electricity. It's brilliant. It's like computing technology where it's it's pretty benign in terms of its usefulness and, and how it's used. So that's, uh, again, another motivating factor that it's uh, renewable, as of course, we all know it falls in the renewable domain um, and and clean. Uh, True. And the, uh, so that that's for me the big thing. And another very uh, interesting thing, I think has a huge impact for the long term on the health and peace and prosperity of the planet is that there is significant deployment of solar in the developing world. There are still one and a half to two billion people that do not have electricity. And the answer to that, not exclusively, but a large part of that is solar because it scales. It can be small one panel on a hut somewhere very remote, or you can cover acres and miles, square miles of land to provide clean power. And you don't need to connect to the grid. It's like the cell phone adoption everywhere in the world, uh, skipping landlines. Same thing happening here. Power will make a massive impact on the quality of life, standard of living, healthcare, education of all these other communities too. So I'm not involved in that now, but I hope to spend some portion of my solar career also serving in the uh, in the developing world because that's really exciting what's happening there. And as a traveler, it would blend some things for me. Well, you can mix business and pleasure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now you mentioned the education piece, and people are more aware of it. What are some of the hurdles you're seeing from, you know, stopping people or stopping cities, municipalities engaging in solar? Sure. Uh, most of it, I would say, is real simple, and it's very overcomable, which is good, which is just education and awareness of the realities of where solar is in terms of its cost effectiveness, its return on investment, the value it provides. So uh, I find pretty much on a daily basis that the assumption by people, because they, you know, they're busy and whatever they do, they're not necessarily up to speed on the fact that, uh, again, like computing technology, where I lived through this better, faster, cheaper 
experience <clears throat> and Moore's laws for decades, that the same thing's happening here with solar. So the economics pretty much work all across the U.S. now for deploying solar power. And so that's really exciting, but most people don't know that. And here in North Texas, a big concern is what about our hailstorms? How durable is it? Does it last? So again, the testing and the way solar modules are tested in labs and then perform in the field is, is well proven now. So that's exciting. Uh, but those are the things people need to be brought up to speed on because then if it if the stuff lasts and it works and if the numbers work, then I, I think as that education gets deeper into our community here and everywhere else where it's there's not a lot of penetration yet, then it's going to be a like, holy cow, why don't we do this? Um, and then you'll see people wanting to follow those leaders that start and it'll become accepted and keeping up with the Joneses, whatever expression you'd like to use. So I'm very hopeful about that's where we're going. So I spend a lot of my time every day, every week, just trying to educate and inform people and advocate and bring them up to speed. And then we can maybe get into a conversation about how they, their organizations, their homes, whatever, can take advantage of uh, the inherent value of solar power. You know, I almost feel like uh, after listening to you talk, um, we need uh, almost almost like, you know, neighborhood watch, we need neighborhood evangelists evangelizing uh, solar. Well, I'm sure my neighbors would tell you I, I probably act that way sometimes. So sure, uh, let's do that in all of our neighborhood uh, associations. Great idea. Let's push that out as a best practice. Or, or, you know, even perhaps seeding at a different route would be going through the schools and having the kids come home and ah, ask parents about solar. Well, that to me is super exciting and where I also have much hope because I, I've, you know, again, as I mentioned, have these four kids. They're pretty much all out of, you know, school locally, but I've watched them go through it. The education around climate matters, the environment, uh, pollution, waste, all these things. It's amazing how schools are doing a great job, I think, getting kids to where their thought process, their normal is, gee, shouldn't we recycle that? Gee, shouldn't we use less of that? Or um, why don't we walk or ride our bikes or not go somewhere? And why don't we carpool? Schools encourage that. So I'm very encouraged by how this is getting seeded early in kids now. So uh, that's good. It's And once they become decision makers and <laughs> have the ability to make things happen, then you know, we can see a lot of these things perhaps accelerate, such as solar technology adoption. Well, you mentioned decision makers, and I know my eldest daughter, who's 11, she had a, um, she was in a Girl Scout, or sorry, Destination Imagination event earlier this year, and um, it was around recycling plastic bags. And we had this whole, you know, plastic bag drive, and now, now we're extremely conscientious about using reusable bags or you know, if we do go to the grocery store, if we forget, we try to minimize the, the number of plastic bags we bring home because, you know, she brought home all these statistics about animals eating plastic bags, ingesting them, and then ultimately how much plastic we're ingesting. So, yes. you know, to your point about, you know, seeding the next generation, I think I think our kids are already asking better questions than we've ever asked regarding the environment. Exactly right. And, and so I'm in this little niche of solar, which is going to have its impact and I'm focused, but everything you just mentioned is kind of tangential to what I do and what motivates me as a sustainability geek, as an environmentalist that I've learned that I am just my nature and all those things matter. There's so many things like that that are low hanging fruit, like take a shopping bag every time you shop, leave it in your trunk. It's an easy habit to form. And it's funny that your sixth grader is getting that. And my uh, final high schooler right now as a senior is doing an environmental project right now that has to do with the impact of the 
uh, meat industry and raising all these um, uh, kinds of terrestrial foods, uh, animals and meat that are super impactful on the climate. So it's great to hear, you know, however many grades apart, that is six grades apart, different levels perhaps, but it's happening up and down the school uh, system from kindergarten through seniors, obviously into college. Then when you get really serious education going, where they're going to jump right into careers, like my oldest daughter, who's involved in the sustainability world and conservation out in California. So yeah, it's that, again, that's what, that's one of the things that keeps me going every day. You know, the grocery bag thing kind of tickles me a little bit. I grew up in London, let's say 30 years ago. And back then we were all using cloth bags anyway. Plastic bags weren't prevalent back in London at that time. And now it's almost like we're going full circle. That's super interesting because of my love for travel, as you mentioned, and my youthful travel and earlier in life travel in other parts of the world. There, If you didn't have a bag at a store, you hopefully could carry everything with your hands because they didn't have bags. So that's just right. the brilliance of America in many ways, merchandising convenience. Of course, we're always going to lead on that. And unfortunately, it's led mm-hmm. to this proliferation of, of bags. Uh, but you know, I think we're that awareness as well is growing, and that's going to change too. But that's a great example. I, I can relate to that one. And, you know, when you talk about awareness and the environment, I can honestly tell you, I've never met a person that's told me, Raj, I hate the environment. I don't care for the environment. I've always heard that, you know, perhaps activities or things are inconvenient to do. So I I think the more we can make things convenient, the the easier that transition is going to be. Yeah, totally agree with that. And and you're right. Uh, I always joke with people. I said, uh, who here doesn't like to breathe and no hands go up, right? And who, who here doesn't <laughs> like to breathe clean air? And, you know, again, it, I, that's a better place to have conversations, I think, on things that are just super simple that everybody does like, which is clean air, clean water, clean land, you know, because we want to play out there. We want to have quality of uh, sources for our food and our water and, and what we breathe because you can't avoid it. So it affects everybody. So you're you're right on with that. And and I, yeah. I speak a lot in that way, just so people can connect with what I'm trying to talk about when you then get into something like, okay, let's design and talk about the solar array on this, you know, 50,000 square foot building, um, but start with something super simple. Well, like you said, find common ground and work from there. Yeah, totally. So you, you mentioned solar array. So what is your current endeavor? <clears throat> My business is MM Solar Advisory, and my mission here in North Texas is to serve as a trusted, unbiased advisor to North Texas organizations to help them implement, deploy, tailored, best-of-breed solar solutions. So um, as I said earlier, solar is very flexible, very scalable, very adaptable. So there's not a one-size-fits-all. And so the way I work in this business at MM Solar Advisory is to engage with organizations, understand what they know about solar, what they're thinking about, what is their sustainability strategy, pick your favorite current acronym like CSR, corporate social responsibility, or ESG is the hot one now, environmental social governance, or the old one of socially responsible investing, whatever it is. What is their thing there? What are they trying to accomplish? How far down that road are they? How important is it to their business, to their brand? And then use that as a a way, again, to connect and plug into something they're already doing and then help them go further and faster down that path by doing something like putting solar on the rooftop of their office building or on top of a warehouse or a manufacturing facility, whatever, wherever you've got a nice big flat roof that's, frankly, doing nothing but protecting you from weather. So uh, a great value opportunity to do more with that, that roof over your head. 
So you mentioned organizations. Are you working more on the commercial side, industrial side, residential? Any specific? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, commercial and industrial. Um, a little bit with nonprofits as well, because I've been involved with lots of community service around uh, Dallas, North Texas in my life. So I would love to serve and help nonprofits. Uh, and uh, But I'm not doing any residential, but there's loads of people around here doing uh, residential projects. And we're seeing that market go pretty well here. And uh, But commercial industrial is, as I said, still pretty early, a lot of education advocacy and getting people up to speed, but a lot of fun projects going on that are anywhere from, you know, $150,000, $200,000 type projects up to $10 million projects. All in there is, is what I'm currently looking on, working on as I, as I look at my whiteboard of, of, you know, prospective clients over here. And so let's say, for example, you know, you talked about the different sizes. If a company was interested, you could essentially walk them through the entire, you know, financial modeling, installation, et cetera? Yes, uh, exactly. And I also tell people up front, I said, this is not super complicated and it won't take a lot of your time, but you've got to make your own decision that you'll want to do this. And I can help companies then see that, wow, if we want to do this, we can defend it, back it up, or even make the case that we should because it makes really good financial sense. And then once, you know, in a new market, you've already always got to start with the numbers and the business case and appeal to that. And then you can blend in the desire and the brand and the qualitative measures. And then really engineering a solar project on a, on a given typical flat commercial or industrial rooftop, engineering that and building it, that's not very complicated. It's really not, especially as long as you make sure you have a good site, meaning a good roof that's in good shape or new, um, it's pretty straightforward. And so um, that's, that's the problem. And, and as I like to tell people, I stay along and advise and herd the catch through that entire process so it gets done as efficiently as possible. And at the end of that, then I'll bring the barbecue and the lemonade and we'll have a party and celebrate their uh, solar uh, power being generated. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mentioned something earlier about um, the hail that we have in North Texas and how these roofs or how the solar panels can, you know, withstand some of that. Um, and I think you mentioned that they've shown in lab tests that it can withstand, you know, some of the hail that we get in this area. Oh, definitely. Uh, the stuff that's still pretty brutal and but reasonable hail, meaning less than a golf ball size, because the, the testing that the solar module manufacturers make around the world uh, is where they basically shoot a a very large ball bearing across a room directly at a solar panel at a high speed and it bounces off and falls on the floor. The solar panel is fine. Um, now, if you get baseball and softball sized hail, I always say, I don't care what you're talking about. You're going to call your insurance man, your insurance agent, because <laughs> nothing survives that. And I have firsthand experience with that as many North Texans do. So at that point, you know, it's an insurance claim, but, but that's rare. That's very rare. And, and I would say, why, make a, why not make a business decision, decision because of that rare uh, meteorological event? Because most of the time, this is going to give you great value and last for 25, 30 years. Because another related tidbit to the durability is that warranties on solar modules, or solar panels are typically 25 years, 20 to 25 years, which blows most people away. What have you ever heard of? What have you ever purchased yourself? We had a warranty on that product for 25 years. Right. You often hear about 25-year roof warranties, but the company's on around. <laughs> well, that's true. And who knows who is around in 25 years? So part of this as well is that uh, the, the language in, in our industry and others is uh, the bankable solar providers uh, that 
either will be around or they're going to continue to be successful. They might acquire, be acquired. They might merge. Something could happen, but they'll, their technology, their, their business may or may not live on, but you're, you'll be taken care of long-term. But the other thing about that is my bet is what's going to happen, and we're pretty early in the solar market to see this in any significant way yet, is that it'll be much shorter. Let's say somewhere between 8 and 15 years. I don't know when the business decision will be, hey, look at the technology. It's twice as productive and efficient as it used to be. It's now even more. It's now cut in cost another 50%. So it's half as expensive, twice as productive for business and financial reasons. Let's replace the system we have. Let's not wait till it, if you will, is end of useful life in 25, 30 years, which outlasts most people in a single company and a, you know, the executives will be different anyway, but it'll be a smart business decision to do that. Um, and then you implement new technology, perhaps take the old technology like we've done in the computing industry and have a whole middle market of, of reuse, taking materials out and recycling of it instead of throwing it away. So the, I think there's a whole middle market in solar that's going to develop for reusing or perhaps giving them to nonprofits and other or schools or charities uh, that doesn't exist today, just like we have with old computing and electronics and, and com, uh, related technology. Well, you know, that led into my next question. I had a conversation this morning with a lady, and that was one of the things she was speaking about is that in 15, 20, 25 years when, you know, these panels are no longer as efficient as they are today, what does the recycling look like? So perhaps you can, you know, shed some light on that. Well, I can only speculate on it. Um, I, I've, I've not been very closely connected to that part of the market. I think so far it's mm -hmm. super small because of what we've already touched on, which is that if you've already installed a solar system, even if it's 10 years ago, it's probably still working as expected. Thus, it's, it's mm -hmm. benign. It's not become some sort of maintenance nightmare. Again, it, I always like to draw the distinction. If you've got a 10-year-old piece of computing technology that you're using, that's probably really painful <laughs> and, <laughs> and really expensive. But the good thing about solar is, yes, it's 10 years old, but if you think about the inputs to it and how it works, as long as it's still got sunshine, it's going to perform. And the sunshine in any given place doesn't change dramatically over years and decades. It might change season to season, year to year a little bit. But so it's going to still be rocking along, doing its job. And um, so point is to your question, I, I don't personally have much experience, nor have I seen a great deal yet about this recycling, reuse uh, market that certainly will develop because there'll be a lot of money to be made there. And uh, there'll be some high value in that, just again, like in electronics and computing technology. So it's a great question. Let's talk about that when we do a podcast in five more years. I would love <laughs> to. You know, actually, there was, there was an article recently about um, this. You mentioned, you know, secondary market of uh, companies that are now recycling some of the wind turbines. I don't know mm -hmm. if you caught that or mm -hmm. not. But, you know, they're they're taking down these huge blades and they're essentially, you know, grinding them, shredding them. And there's, you know, this sub-industry, if you will. Yes, absolutely. So they're in the wind industry. Great example of that. And um, that's just the nature of innovative technology, innovative capitalism, innovative research and development that will never stop. You know, wind turbines, for instance, are dramatically more productive, much higher output now than uh, when I first started looking in researching and understanding them out in West Texas where they took off, you know, 15 years ago. Um, same thing, you know, again, with computing technology, where what I think is going to happen, uh, not so much with the current silicon type photovoltaic panels we have, but probably we'll see that we'll have new materials 
that are how solar modules are constructed in the future because they'll be more productive because it'll do better than current silicon type technology that we have. So that's an area that if you're a, a young person, a, an engineer in college or just out, materials science, I think, is a really exciting field for uh, that applies directly to advances in technologies like solar because it will change. Um, but I don't know what it'll be and how long it'll take it to get significant market share and take over. But those things very likely will occur. And other smart, you know, prognosticators say those things. I'm just parroting what I've heard about that, but it all makes sense. I, you know, I absolutely agree. We were fortunate enough here at our company to have a meeting last month with a gentleman that's using perovskite mm -hmm. and is doing a roll to roll. And, you know, he says that his procedure, his process, if you will, is much faster and less, you know, uh, capital intensive than traditional solar panels. So to your point, absolutely, these technologies are coming right along. Yeah, perovskite is, is kind of the current hot example of that next material. And the question will be, uh, who seizes upon that and can get it to market and scale it such that it becomes a real factor in the market. So again, that's another thing that's motivating, motivating for me about this because having been through my, uh, my life in the, in the technology, the computing technology world where I had to be used to and accepting of and expecting of all these changes, same thing here. This is exciting, fun stuff. So it's just going to get better. And I like better. <laughs> Well, Michael, from the mountains to the sun, if there's one piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience, what would it be? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I've touched on it before, and uh, it would be to figure out what, you know, for you is really inherently intrinsically rewarding uh, that feeds your need for purpose and impact, because then you'll find yourself doing things on a daily basis, whether it's your work or uh, any other endeavor that is just self-motivating. And then hopefully if if the reward from that and the impact of that goes beyond you and your community and your customers and your family, your friends, whomever it is, whatever it is, then, then that's what allows us, at least in my view, to get up every day, put our feet on the floor, march out the door and go do whatever it is we're doing because um, we're motivated and uh, being driven by things that matter to us. And it can be very individual and so, you know, with my kids, I've always tried to just help them figure that out and find their purpose at this early stage of their lives. And uh, it probably will change for, you know, any of them. That's great. That's exciting, too, because change is also super good and healthy, uh, as evidenced by I'm having as much fun as ever in what I do now as I did earlier in my career in a different industry. You know, you're echoing a conversation, another conversation I had today where a gentleman said that if you find meaning in what you're doing, you're more likely to be excellent at it. Well, I, I love the meaning in what I'm doing. I'm trying real hard to be excellent at it. <laughs> so well, thank you. I, I think you're doing a wonderful job, Michael, and I really, really appreciate you being a guest on Bigger Than Us today. And I look forward to catching up with you in five years. Well, good. Well, maybe even sooner, uh, Raj, but I, I'm delighted to have been here today. Thanks so much for the invitation. Thank you and have a wonderful You're afternoon. Welcome. Bye.